I want to thank uh, Kathy, Seth, and Eric for being just fantastic teammates. Uh, it was a joy and a pleasure to see their unique giftings used in ministry at Fountain of Hope Church. It was really a microcosm when we think about the church body and how it works together. This team worked together in a way that was uh, effective and helpful, and uh, it was just a joy. One of my highlights, though, was getting out of the van when we first got there. So we drove up, the family's coming out, I get out a little bit behind them, and I see them as they're coming up to the family and the fellow folks from, from Fountain of Hope. And the joy and the delight and the pleasure that was on their faces was abundant. And so, same with the, the folks from Fountain of Hope. It really was a family getting together. That is something that will just stick in my mind. That even though we live on the other side of the world, we are partnered together in something that's wonderful. And this relationship over resources really does embody what we have there with Fountain of Hope. So the relationship with Fountain of Hope has driven us as a church to think more globally to reach our community and the nations. And we are longing for what we do here at River Oaks and on the other side of the world, to be something that lasts for generations. And so as we're partnered together, we see how that is actually happening because we've already seen a generation of children come up and we see them coming back to the church and being helpful and desiring to serve the local body. So this striving together matters. I want to encourage you, church family, what we're doing with them matters and it matters for eternity. So what we did, one of the major things that we did at our time with Fountain of Hope was to pull together churches for a conference, and it was entitled Building Healthy Churches Together. And so we had about 40 different folks from eight different congregations. Some of those were church plants of Fountain of Hope, but some of them were just associations that they have. And it was a fantastic time of teaching, specific application, sharing, asking each other questions, learning from one another. There was a real vibe of transparency amongst the group. This is um, uh, Pastor Robert, and then this is Bishop Mutusiu. Meticia, uh, I'm terrible at <laughs> pronouncing their name. Um, so these are two leaders. That one is from Mombasa, and the other is from Katui, and they lead uh, large congregations there. This was after the conference. We forgot to take a picture until some of the folks had left. But this was a good group, uh, a picture of a good group of those that were able to join us for that time. So on the night prior to the beginning of our conference, I was overwhelmed with worship and with joy because the title of the conference, Building Healthy Churches Together, really has embodied what we desire to do here and there and what we desire to do together. So it was really a joy to be able to think, we're having a conference about exactly what we're trying to do. 
And as we think about church planting, that's exactly what we want to be doing here. So I think it's important for me to just walk through some of the things that we taught there. These are things that we teach here all the time, but not always together. And so I want to connect these few things together for our edification and our understanding, and it would be an encouragement for us as we continue to pursue church planting. So we talked about three topics. The first was a God-centered biblical interpretation. The second was multiplying mature biblical leadership. And the third was building gospel-centered community. We talk about these frequently. And our hope is that as we think about church planning, that we continue to put these things together, that we continue to prioritize these areas. So our first session was a God-centered biblical interpretation. This book that we study every Sunday is a book revealed to us by God, about God, and for God's glory. So every time we gather as a church family, we want to look at these scriptures and we want to be asking, what does God want to say to us? And the overall arching theme of this scripture is a grand, most beautiful story, a story this world needs to hear because it's better than anything else this world offers. So I want to give us just a reminder of that story. The almighty God of the universe, creator and sustainer, desires to be known. Relationship with him is only possible through Jesus Christ, his son, who died to save us from our sin so that we might live with him for all eternity. Said another way that you've heard from this pulpit just a few weeks ago, we are saved by God's grace, from God's wrath, for God's glory. As we think about Christmas, as we think about Advent, let that message be in our hearts and our minds. And may it be the message that we proclaim every Sunday, but with every friendship, every relationship that we have. Every message that we proclaim, we want God to be the center. So as we think about our messages just over the last few months, we think about the book of Esther, where God's name was not even mentioned. We saw God's sovereign hand working behind the scenes, through the people and despite them, to bring about his purposes to save his people. It was the message two weeks ago when Art preached that because of Jesus' authority and power, with a word he rebukes evil, heals the sick, and preaches the good news. Because he is the good news. Amen? So at the conference, we were able to unpack this God-centered interpretation. We taught through the attributes of God. What is God's character like? As pastors and ministers and as leaders, we need to know the attributes of God so that we can 
display them in our preaching. So for an example, we talk through Mark 2, 1 through 12. It's the story of Jesus hearing, healing the paralytic man that was dropped through by his friends in the roof. It's often taught that faith is a means to receive the healing that Jesus has the power to give. That if you can have the faith, Jesus will heal you. It's preached that way here, and it's preached that way there. But a God-centered interpretation of that story says, only God has the power to forgive sins. Therefore, Jesus, who offered the man forgiveness, is God. Since Jesus is God, he sees the greatest need of this man is not physical healing. Jesus cares for the sufferer, and he cares most about the sin that separates that sufferer from God. And so he forgived the paralytic man first, and then he healed him. Jesus is the object and the center of that story. That is the message that we want to proclaim, that Jesus cares most about our ultimate suffering that separates us from a holy God. And so he goes to the uttermost to save us. One attender said this insight was completely new to him, that he had always focused on the striving to have more faith so that things in this world would be better. And those circumstances are hard. But it was enlightening for him to see clearly Christ's power and compassion to forgive and to relieve our ultimate suffering forever. And how that, as leaders, helps us minister to our people. We talked about many of the attributes of God, but one of them was God's omnipotence. God has all power. God and Satan are not equal or semi-equal foes in an epic battle to gain the upper hand. Satan is at the mercy of God as an enemy of God and only able to move as God allows. For one young man, this was particularly impactful. For them, they face the real presence of evil and satanic power. And it's very intimidating to go into those situations. But as he thought about the great power that God has revealed in his word, that he is the, cre- the creator, he is the sustainer, that Jesus literally holds all things together. That gives a boldness and a confidence to go into situations where there is real evil. But we can face it without fear. Brothers and sisters, can you see how this emphasis, having the right emphasis in our preaching and teaching, in our application of Scripture, impacts and changes things? It impacts how you minister in this culture that is growing increasingly evil. 
It matters that we pursue as a church this God-centered biblical interpretation, that you practice it, and that you proclaim it. Our second session was building strong churches depends on a multiplying of mature biblical leadership. This is one of the greatest needs that we have here, and it's similar there. I am exceedingly grateful for the leadership to walk alongside brothers as elders who serve and who love and who care and have a passion for Christ. And as I think about the so many different things that require leadership here at River Oaks, from ESL classes, from ministering at the jail, from ministering even now in assisted living, the children's ministry, so many different leaders. We need to have a mindset that we want to become increasingly mature and we want to replicate more leaders. Not that are under us, but that are alongside of us. This is exceedingly important. We talked about how elders are called to know the sheep, feed the sheep, lead the sheep, and protect the sheep. The two voices of elders are to comfort the sheep and to fight off the wolves. As we talked about it, this, this talk led to confession, the weight of being a leader is heavy. It also led to a real humble disposition and a desire to intentionally want to make sure that what we give the sheep is the Word of God with the emphasis that God gives. So we want to equip, to replicate, and plant Godly leadership in our eldering, in our preaching, in our teaching, in our Sunday school ministries, in our worship, in our youth ministries. We want to replicate that. So as we think about this coming year, brothers and sisters, we need you to participate in that. We want you to grow and to mature and to step into all the various ways that God has gifted you so that you may flourish then that you may cause others to flourish. Our third main session was gospel-centered community. I'm so thankful for the gospel-centered community that we have here. So I was thinking the night beforehand, uh, before our third session, I was really struggling on how do I grasp connecting the beauty of the relationship and community that God has in himself with what we desire in biblical community. And a dear sister from this church family had written us handwritten letters every day to open. And in God's providence, I opened that letter as I was struggling And it was John 15. And so I read the scriptures and it was just opened up. Wow, what a picture John 15 through 17 is of our triune God who has enjoyed community together forever. And because of that, wants us 
to be grafted into that community. So let me just read a few words from John 17. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Let those words dwell in you. Those words change everything. God wants us to be with him, for him to be in us and us in him. That is mind-numbingly awesome. So what divides us from God and from others? Sin and selfish desire. What unites us to God and to each other? Jesus and the selfless desire for us to selfless desire for us to experience what he has been experiencing for all eternity. Jesus not only restores a community that Adam and Eve had with God in the garden, Jesus has been on a mission from before the garden to make that community infinitely better. Folks, we need to understand that. The garden didn't mess up God's plans. What happened in the garden was a fulfillment of his plans because Jesus had better plans, infinitely better plans. Let me just read Revelation 22. And I want you to think about the garden and think about this picture. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. So I want us to think about the garden and think about this and think about some of the distinctives. In the garden, there was a sun that rose and set. Jesus' radiance was not on full display. His spirit, God's very power and presence, did not live inside Adam and Eve. They had God walking with them in beautiful community. But they were able to doubt God's goodness. 
just as you and I. But contrast that to what we know from the revelation. There are walls. In 21, he goes into how thick those walls are. They were impenetrable. They were there for the protection of God's kingdom that will last forever and ever. There was no need for a son. There will be no need. Jesus' radiance fills every corner of heaven. There is not one dark corner that you can hide. There is more than one tree of life. Think about that reality. There's more than one tree of life. It lines both sides of the river, and we get to eat of its fruit forever. There is no tree of good and evil. There is only goodness flowing from the rivers of life that come from the very throne of God. There is no wondering about good, God's goodness as Adam and Eve did. There will be no doubt of God's goodness and how we got there because it was all Jesus. Jesus did this for us because he loves us and he wants us to experience what he has been experiencing forever. Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to God. This reality that God delights in himself and as an overflow of this, God delights in saving sinners, longing for us to enjoy him. This is the very foundation of, For the church and Christ's kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as brothers and sisters, we all stand equal. Before Christ and his saving work, we were all dead. We were all strangers. We were all aliens and enemies of God. But... God. God acted upon us, and now we are saved. We are redeemed. We are chosen. We are made righteous. Think about that reality. We are made righteous. It gets only better from there. We are sons and daughters of God, co-heirs. And brothers and sisters, Jesus calls us his friend. This Jesus will conquer with this message. And it is this message that will allow us to multiply in healthy ways. It is this message we want to proclaim every Sunday and all throughout the week. We want to live by and we want to build our church community around. It's these realities that fuel biblical community. We talk through elements of biblical community, values, essentials, so that we long to gather together. We long to study together. We long to pray. We long to serve. We long to worship. We long to suffer together. Fueled by the Holy Spirit, we desire to pursue love, Joy, 
patience, holiness, humility, truth, unity, gratitude, gentleness, self-control, and persevering together. God has given us the book of Revelation to exhort us to remain faithful, persevere, because the inheritance is ours in Christ Jesus. It is guaranteed by Jesus, and it's sealed forever by His Holy Spirit. So partnering with Fountain of Hope helps us observe the majestic and merciful work of Christ. I hope today you just get a small taste of what God is doing as we have been partnered with Him on the other side of the globe. Oh, wow. Getting excited. Four church plants. You have heard about Bishop Julius and his fatherly role at the children's home, at the university, and to so many others. Fides strove to get her nursing degree and desires now to establish a medical clinic because she desires to love and serve her community and relieve suffering. The family and the leaders we met long to serve their communities. And they're now taking in these 35 more children with the hopes that these two will love Jesus, will go on with their education so they won't fall into the cycle of poverty. They desire to serve their community by lifting folks out of their poverty and providing microloans, starting small businesses, and running a school to educate their community. There is a fervency, there is a perseverance, there is a humility and an eagerness for those leaders to be equipped. The result of our conference, Bishop Julius, in his visionary way, said this is day one of the Fountain of Hope Theological College. They desire more. We desire more. They see the need to be rooted deeply in God's word, and they desire to be equipped so they can proclaim it and have fruitful discipleship for generations to come. This work has eternal impact, and we want to continue to partner with them. Brothers and sisters, you partner with us in that. This relationship matters. We taught together, we laughed together, we loved together, we encouraged one another, we exhorted one another, we prayed together, and we served together. And so as we think about church planting, how we think about what we're doing there impacts how we do things here, and we need to prioritize that which makes us a healthy church, and we need you to partner with that. And I take great joy in what is going on here at River Oaks. Last week, Mitchell talked about Peter's encounter with the majesty of Jesus. That veil was pulled back and he was confronted with his sin and weakness. Jesus gave him mercy and called him to be a fisher of men. Again, Luke 5, 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The greatest catch of their lives 
two boats over full. But in that moment, they realized Jesus was far greater than the greatest blessings of this life. No amazing catch, no amount of wealth, no earthly blessing compares to the riches of Jesus. His grace, his mercy, his friendship, his presence is the greatest treasure. It is the pearl of great price. So if you today are in a place of lukewarmness, if the presence of sin, sorrow, and suffering are weighing on you, I encourage you to set your gaze on Jesus. He is gentle and lonely. He is with you to walk with you, to carry your burdens. Jesus has gone to the uttermost to relieve our suffering and our sin. And he has promised us an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for us. And so as we go to the communion table, I'm going to ask the elders to come forward to help us serve. This reality of Jesus and what he has done is what we celebrate at this communion table. This is what we remember, remember, remember. So, as we think about communion, let us set our gaze on Jesus. Let us set our gaze on his majesty. Let us bask in what he has done and who he is.